Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, before we begin, I know, uh, so last night I had a little tickle in my throat. Nothing big. And all of a sudden, about halfway through the first message, I felt like I was losing my voice. It doesn't hurt. I just am praying that it won't hurt you. First service just thought I was either... Uh, my voice cracked a few times. They thought either I was a little younger than I am or they, uh, they thought I was just emotionally getting involved in the, in the message. But, uh, you know, the worst thing that would happen is I'd have to cut it a little short and that would be horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> Never mind. That's a dumb pastor's thing. We always joke about how we're long-winded and usually we probably are. But uh, please bear with me, and I, I pray that this morning will be an encouragement to you. And uh, so let's uh, pray and, and ask for God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize all that we have in Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged in you. And because of that, may we encourage one another. And Lord, we will give you the glory for what you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you also for those who are watching online. I know it's, uh, I appreciate so many faithful people, and uh, we're, we're grateful for God's blessing. This morning, we're concluding our series on one another, and we've been looking at ways that we're to relate to one another, our our we call it our tagline for our church is connecting people with God and each other. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're to connect with each other. As God has changed us, we're to be used by him to impact the people around us. And over 60 times in the New Testament, it gives this term, one another. And there are many different words put in front of that, actions put in front of that. And over the last four weeks, including today, we have just been looking at four of those different, probably the mo four of the most used of the one another phrases or the ones that are used the most. We looked at love one another. We're to love each other as God in Christ has loved us. As Christ has shown that, we use the term agape, that unconditional love, we're to love one another with that same type of love. And then we looked at forgiving one another. And Ephesians chapter 4 said that we are to forgive one another. As God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us, let's forgive one another. And last week we looked, again, from Ephesians chapter 4 at serving one another. Whether it's in a formal setting or an informal setting, our responsibility is to serve one another. And as we looked in Ephesians 4, and the challenge to say that, we also look back at Mark chapter 10, where the disciples were having an argument over who was the greatest, and as they were having that argument over who was the greatest, Jesus stepped into the argument and he said, you guys are looking at it all wrong. So the person who is greatest is to be the servant of all. And then he said, 
For the Son of Man, and that's Jesus speaking of himself, one of the titles that he has, is the Son of Man. He, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So just as God has loved us, we're to love one another. Just as God has forgiven us, we're to forgive one another. Just as God has served us, we're to serve one another. And this morning, the fourth, to encourage one another. We're called to encourage each other. I want you to think as we begin this morning of someone in your life that was a great encourager to you. It could be current day. It could be from many years ago. So you're thinking of that person, and, and oftentimes some natural encouragers are teachers or coaches. And I've been blessed by having many great teachers and coaches in, in my life. And, and when I ask myself that question, there are many names I could put in there, but the one that jumps out to me was a guy named Mr. Schondelmeyer. Now, Mr. Schondelmeyer was a math teacher at Belgrade High School, and he, he taught, I had him for uh, algebra and geometry and... and uh, so I, I had an opportunity. I did okay at math. I wasn't the greatest, uh, but I, I made it through in much part due to Mr. Schondemeyer. And what made Mr. Schondemeyer such a great teacher? Well, he was an encourager. And he would encourage his students. He went above and beyond the call of duty. Now, I have a confession to make. You ever do those security questions, like if you have a bank account or something, right? You know, and the security questions, and they have, you know, what was your first pet? You know, what is your mother's aunt's maiden's name, third cousin removed? You know, things like that. <clears throat> well, I remember one of them that popped up for me was, who is your favorite teacher? And I feel bad because I didn't put Mr. Schondemeyer's name down because he spelled his name really strange. <laughs> and although he had such a great impact on my life, I can never remember how to spell it. And I was waiting till I really had to get into this account and I couldn't because I kept spelling Schondemeyer incorrectly. So I picked another one of my teachers who had a one-syllable name that was very easy to spell. But as we think about those who encourage us. We see in Hebrews chapter 10 that, that God calls us to be known as encouragers and to encourage one another. Follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as it is the manner of some, but exhorting. And that word exhort also can be translated, in many versions translated, encouraging. So, but exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
This morning we're going to focus on verses 24 and 25, but I want us to understand the context because part of the context is what pushes us, what encourages us to be encouragers. And we see in in verses 19 through 21 some of the things that we have that should challenge us to be encouragers. We see our position. We have access to God. Now, the author of Hebrews, his original audience or readership were Hebrews or Jewish people. And so, As you look through the book of Hebrews and as you study the book of Hebrews, you'll find that that he does a couple things. He focuses on a lot of the Jewish traditions and and demonstrate how they point to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But he also shows through that the amazing position that we have in Christ and that Christ is far better than their Old Testament law. It also shows what their Old Testament law was there for. It it wasn't there to be the final and significant end. It, It led and pointed to the Messiah who was coming. And so we we see that he uses through these verses as well as the rest of the book. some pictures that those Jews would understand clearly. And this first one in verses 19 and 20, this access to God. Notice what he said in verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. It's a picture of the holy of holies in the temple. It actually started back in the Old Testament with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, in a sense, a portable temple. As the Jews were leaving Egypt and going to the promised land during that time, there was a 40-year period. Part of what they did during that time was to, to build this tabernacle, this temporary dwelling place of God. And there were different parts of the tabernacle, and one was called the Holy of Holies. And when the, then when Saul, Solomon built the temple, when they were there in the promised land, in Israel, they built a temple, David provided, and then Solomon did the actual building. But they had this Holy of Holies, which represented the presence of God, the dwelling place of God for the nation of Israel and the center of their worship. Now, access to the Holy of Holies in in the tabernacle and the temple took place only one time a year and only one person could do that. It was the Day of Atonement. And what would happen is they would have this special celebration, this Day of Atonement, and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. And there would be a great amount of ceremonial cleansing and lots of things that they would go through for him to be ceremonially pure to go in. 
But here the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, we all have access. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven, and you have access to go in to the Holy of Holies, to the very presence of God. We have constant access. There in verse 20, it says, by a new and living way. And those Jewish people were so familiar with their Jewish traditions. They were very familiar, obviously, with the Day of Atonement and all that took place. And and so the author here is saying, listen, there is a new way. And that term new is only used one time in the New Testament. And it means freshly slaughtered. Jesus' sacrifice was that new and living way as he allows us to boldly enter the presence of God. And then he uses the picture of the veil. The veil is a very thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And as you read about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there's some amazing imagery and reminders of all that Jesus Christ has done for us that that took place there at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. There was a great earthquake. The rock shook. It became dark. Some amazing things that took place as Jesus gave his life. But one of the things that took place was that in the temple itself, When Jesus died, it says that the veil was torn in two. The sacrifice was complete and access was possible. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, because of Jesus Christ, you have access to God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have access to a holy God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And since we have access, we should live differently. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 21, it says we also have a high priest. Verse 21 says, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now the Jews understood the responsibilities of the priests and the responsibility of the high priest They were to go before God on behalf of the people. Now, it's important to recognize that through Jesus Christ, we are all priests. We don't need to have someone who is a go-between. Because of forgiveness, we have access. And we can go to the Father ourselves, but Jesus Christ, God's Son, in Hebrews, earlier in Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus Christ has allowed us all to live as priests, to, to have that access to God through Christ. And we also see the work of the Holy Spirit. A little earlier in, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that the Holy Spirit witnesses on our behalf in Romans 8 and other places we see the work of the Holy Spirit as he works for us we have the work of Christ in our salvation the work of our holy the Holy Spirit in our walk with God we have access we have a high priest and because of that we should live differently now we find three commands that he gives in verses 22 and following 
Since you have these things, you should live differently. And, and he begins each of these three commands with the two words, let us. In verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And again, a, a very clear picture being painted to this Jewish audience that he was writing to. The priest would sprinkle the blood of an animal to picture the forgiveness of sins. Because of Jesus Christ's blood, we have forgiveness in him. And then it goes on there in the end of verse 22 and says, And our bodies washed with pure water. The, the priests, when they would go to make the sacrifices, they would have these ceremonial cleansing. There would be a, a basically, we would call it a wash basin, that they would go in and they would wash their hands to picture the cleansing that was to take place. But Jesus Christ has provided the forgiveness pictured by the blood. And Jesus Christ has made us pure, pictured by the washing of the hands. So we can come before God. We can draw near with a true or a sincere heart. Fully knowing, it says in full assurance, fully knowing what Christ has done for us. And then in verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, these Jews were struggling with something. They, they had grown up with the law. And God had set up the law for the nation of Israel, but, but that was to help them recognize their need of a Messiah and pointed to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But they were struggling. What did they do with that Old Testament law that, that they had grown up observing? And they were being encouraged to, to go back to simply following the law. And the author here is reminding all of us that we're not saved by our deeds. We're not forgiven by the things we're, that we do, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice that he died and he rose again. So the author here says, let us hold fast the confession. The idea of holding fast, I am not going to let it go. Why? Because he, capital H, who promised is faithful. God is a faithful God. And instead of looking backward, we must look forward to the hope. If you notice this morning throughout our musical part of the worship, we sang about the hope. There is a hope. His name is Jesus. And throughout that worship, recognizing that all we have is in him. He is faithful. And we can be confident in him. And then he goes on in verses 24 and 25 and gives the third let us command. 
And this is the one we're going to focus on this morning. Let us consider one another. And the idea there, encouraging one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We're encouraging each other to live godly lives. And it goes on in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Encourage one another. Because of our position, because we have access, because we have the high priest, we're to draw near, we're to hold fast, but we're also to encourage one another. The emphasis is not what we can get from others, but what we can give to others. And just like the other three that we've talked about over the last three weeks, this is not easy or natural. Every single one of us, our natural instinct is to consider ourselves. But here the author of Hebrews says, consider one another. Every single one of us, our natural instinct is to get what's best for us. But the author here says, no, we're to encourage one another and to help them. We're to encourage one another. And then he closes in verse 25 and it says that, that this is vital and even more urgent as we recognize that Christ will return. We don't know when Jesus Christ will come back, but we recognize that Jesus Christ is coming again and there is a responsibility that we have. It's a vital responsibility and it's urgent because of the time. So what I'd like to do in these last few minutes is, is look at one of the greatest New Testament pictures of what this encourager looks like. Encouraging one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. This guy in the New Testament, probably the most well-known human encourager, his name was Barnabas. In fact, he was given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because as people watched him, and we'll read the verse here in, in just a few minutes, as the people watched him, they saw him as that Mr. Schondelmeyer, that encourager. And so they gave him a name, which means son of encouragement. What a powerful thing to think about. In our lives, if, if we're given a nickname that describes our character, what would it be? Hopefully not Mount Vesuvius or something like that. No, they called him encourager. Why, why was he such an encourager? Well, let's take just a few minutes and look at this guy Barnabas, the encourager. Acts chapter 11 just gives a little, uh, in a nutshell, encapsulates the character of Barnabas. And, and in Acts chapter 11, the church is, is starting to spread out. It's going from Jerusalem, and, and it's spreading out as God called for them to do. 
And so now Barnabas is introduced back in Acts chapter 4. But we see a a greater picture of his character in, in Acts chapter 11. Notice what it says in verses 22 through 24 of Acts 11. It says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, things that were going around and people that needed encouragement and to hear the gospel around the region. So they came to the church in Jerusalem, the, the news of it, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he had came and seen the grace of God, he was glad. And what did he do? He encouraged them all with purpose of heart, or that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. It's interesting, if you read the life of Barnabas throughout the book of Acts, because that's where it talks about him throughout that book, you see that it's almost always you'll see the word encourage or encouraged connected with Barnabas. How did he encourage others? Why was he known for that characteristic? Well, if we look at his life through Acts, we can see a few things that, that brought that character out to the forefront. We see that he sacrificed to encourage others. You know, one of the things about Mr. Schondelmeyer is that he was always available for questions or discussion. He would come in like at 7 o'clock in the morning, and he would prep his room, but he would have most of that already done. Because we could go in any time before first period if we had questions or just wanted to talk. He gave his time for us. He sacrificed. Well, look what Barnabas did. And, and there's many examples of, of this sacrifice in Barnabas' life that we find in the book of Acts. But, but let's look at his first introduction in Acts 4.36. <clears throat> and it says, And Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. So his his real name was Joseph, but they all called him Barnabas. Why? Because he was an encourager. So he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. God had given him some things and he recognized there were other people around that needed those. So what did he do? He sacrificially gave to help encourage and meet the needs of others. In Ephesians 10, 24, we're to encourage and stir up to love and good works. Barnabas was continually sacrificing for the benefit of others. We see he also saw the potential in others. Now, I never noticed Mr. Schondelmeyer choosing favorites or giving up on students. Now, I'm sure there were probably times he felt like it or maybe even did. But we never saw that. Barnabas was a great example of that. 
In Acts 15, verses 37 and 38, it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take... With them, the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had gone and not gone on with them to the work. Here's what happened. They went on their first missionary journey, and it was Paul and Barnabas and this young man named John Mark. But as they were going on this journey, going to different cities, sharing the gospel, starting churches, there were some hard things that took place. And when the things got hard, John Mark quit and left. So Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on another missionary journey, go to other towns and share the gospel and start churches. And and Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, oh, no, we don't. If we take him, he's going to quit this time just like he did the last time. And Barnabas said, no. He's worth the risk. I see his potential. And so the argument between Paul and Barnabas was so great that they divided company. And it says there that that Paul ended up taking a guy named Silas. And Barnabas went with John Mark. Because he saw his potential even when others didn't. Now it's fascinating. That took place in about 10 years later in the book of 2 Timothy. Paul mentions John Mark. But he mentions him in a totally different way. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is just about ready to die. He's about ready to be martyred for the faith, and he knows his time is very short. He's in prison. And he has a guy named Luke with him. Luke was the writer of Acts, also the writer of Luke, one of the leaders in the early church. But notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark, or John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Paul said, hey, have him come. I now see his potential. But what had made a difference in John Mark's life? A guy named Barnabas who walked alongside him and encouraged him for many years when others had given up on him. Barnabas was a great encourager because he saw potential And we see that he also invested his life in others. You know, Mr. Shondemeyer, as many good teachers do, as all good teachers do, invested his life in his students. And he made a difference in us. Barnabas was always investing in others. When you see him mentioned in the book of Acts, he's, he's encouraging and investing, spending his time with those who are, who are young in the faith and growing in their relationship with God. And that actually happened in the life of Paul. 
we've been jumping to, to or we've been looking, excuse me, at Acts chapter 11 when Paul has trusted Christ in Acts chapter 9. He had been, he had been one that was going out and persecuting the Christians. And if you read Acts chapter 9, on the way to a town called Damascus, God met him. And it says that there was a bright light and Jesus talked to him in the light. And Paul says, who are you? And I love how he says, who are you, Lord? And it's a small L. In other words, sir. And the voice says, I am Jesus who you persecute. And Paul responds, my Lord capital L, and my God. So Paul's life was changed, but there was a slight problem. You see, the Christians knew who Paul was. He was the guy that was chasing them all over the place, putting them in prison and killing them. And so when News came out that this young man, Paul, or Saul, his name was later changed to Paul, but this, this guy, Saul, was a follower of Jesus. They were like, uh-uh, it's a trick. He's going to say he's a follower of Jesus, and we're going to meet with him, and we're going to expose ourselves, and he's going to throw us in prison, or he's going to kill us. And even the apostles and the leaders of the church doubted the sincerity of this guy named Paul. But guess what? A guy named Barnabas said, yeah, he's got potential. And I'm going to pour my life into him. And so in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, we see this. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus, which was a town, to seek Saul. Again, he's the guy later, his name later changed to Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What happened? Barnabas said, hey... This guy's got potential. I'm going to go. And he spent a great amount of time investing his life in Paul. Now, as we close, I want you to think of a couple things. First, if, if you read through the book of Acts, beginning in Acts 11, and going through the next chapters, you'll see a very interesting things that take, thing that takes place as Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, are introduced. Throughout those next few chapters, it's always Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul, when his name's changed. But then after a few chapters, it's Paul and Barnabas. Guess what happened? As Barnabas mentored Paul, Paul, who was an amazing teacher and preacher, began to be the one that was in the limelight rather than Barnabas. And Barnabas went from the headliner to the guy that was doing the things behind the scenes. You see, if I'm going to encourage people I've got to be willing to take a back seat to put them first. 
And Barnabas could invest his life in others. Yeah, he saw their potential. But he humbly put others before himself. And if we're to encourage one another, we've got to do the same thing. And the second thing is this. The second thing is that we see the impact that Barnabas <clears throat> made in the life of those, lives of those around him. But not only that, the impact that has changed Christianity even today. Now, again, I understand God could have brought someone else alongside Paul to mentor him and help him in his faith. But Barnabas was the one that stood up and said, yes, I'm going to do it. And you look at the New Testament. Paul wrote many of the books of the New Testament. A large portion of the New Testament is written by Paul. In fact, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who was written, but many people believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, the, the book we're looking at today. We don't know that for sure. But also John Mark. You see, because John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. But not only that, the Gospel of Mark was written before the other Gospels. And Luke and Matthew, two of the other Gospel writers, used the book of Mark as a template as they wrote. Now, it was God-ordained, it was Holy Spirit-moved men as they wrote so scripture comes ultimately from God, but God used Barnabas to impact the authors of well over half of the New Testament. What did he do? He evidently wasn't a great speaker. We don't know for sure, but when Paul began to mature, <laughs> he became the headliner and Barnabas took the back seat. But he was faithful, and he encouraged others. You want to have an impact in your world? Be an encourager. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody came up to you and said, you know, your name is Joe, but <clears throat> we're going to call you Barnabas because you're such an encouragement. We're called to encourage one another. And we need to do that. It requires sacrifice. It requires recognizing the potential that God has placed in those around us. And it requires investing ourselves, which means putting them first and ourselves last. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as almighty God, you love us more than we can imagine. Help us to recognize that you are the ultimate encourager and that you have encouraged us in providing salvation and hope as we've been singing about this morning. Lord, help us to be known as encouragers, to come alongside those around us and to encourage them in life, in hope, in faith, Lord, that we would be known as people like Barnabas. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.